today's question at hand is, is Trump's wall a national emergency? Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the question at hand. Hope everyone's been doing wonderfully. Uh, this week, we are talking about national emergencies. So on February 15th, which is last Friday, President Trump declared a national emergency to build the border wall. And basically, the definition of a national emergency is a situation beyond the ordinary which threatens the health or safety of citizens and which cannot be properly addressed by the use of other law. There's a National Emergencies Act that was enacted and effective of September 14th, 1976. And basically, it ended all previous national emergencies and formalizes the emergency powers of the president. So it basically said anything that was declared before this act was come into law, uh, that everything before it is ended is no longer valid and everything that comes after it now you know has a set of rules to go by yeah so in 1976 everything was sort of standardized the protocol that a president can go through to declare a national emergency and you gave the definition from i believe it is duheim's law dictionary yes duheim's law dictionary um so 1976 was the first time where it was you know written down what a president can do in what context the decisions have to come in for that president to do whatever he wants to do. But in 1976, there was a court case in the U.S. Court of Appeals, 19th Circuit, that said on four other occasions previous to 1976, there was uh, or there were four situations that matched exactly sort of what they outlined in this um in this new act and these were in 1933 1950 1970 and 1971 so there were some you know kind of guidelines to go by you know we just didn't create this out of nowhere and since 1976 there have been 59 now 59 national emergencies of varying importance and length um, I believe I saw that 31 are still in practice. and Yeah, because uh, basically it, it's declared and then it can go for a period of years or a couple months or a couple weeks, just kind of whenever the emergency is, I guess, come to a close and it's no longer necessary for us to be in a, a state of a, a national emergency, I guess. And so I did see where there have been quite a few presidents who have enacted a national emergency and then, re- I guess, removed it or taken it out of being a national emergency. What would you call that? Re- redacted? Yeah. Yeah, they redacted it. So Yeah, and I think it said, was it since the law is passed that there have been 42? Is, Not that, sure. is that what I saw? What do you mean? Like, f- there have been 42 national emergencies since this law. Because there were some that were before. 
like. So according to Wikipedia, the first president to issue an emergency was Woodrow Wilson uh, on February fifteenth or February fifth, nineteen seventeen. And he said, I have found that there exists a national emergency arising from the insufficiency of maritime tonnage to carry the products of the farms, forests, mines, and manufacturing industries of the United States to their consumers abroad and within the United States. But there have been um, several before this act in 1976. Yeah, I, I think that's correct. Roosevelt had several. Truman had one. And I think... After 1976, when uh, when they sort of restarted, regrouped uh, the laws surrounding what a president can do, redefined his powers. Lots of them are involving you know other governments and limiting trade, mm-hmm. um, imports to the U.S. Um, there for were, for a various number of reasons. Yeah, there a lot of them were punishments for things that. Uh, other countries or other groups were responsible for. Uh, there were several uh, terrorist attack-related national emergencies that limited imports into the United States. Um, and, and some of those have been going on for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. I guess we... Do you want to talk about Trump's? Yeah. A little bit. So basically, Donald Trump declared a national emergency um on the 15th and he uh declared this so that it would so we could fund the border wall basically that he said mexico would pay for in his campaign and yet two years later there's still no still no wall but uh he basically said that they um in his in his speech when he declared a national emergency said that uh, we have to build the wall that it's it's not because it was a campaign promise, but because there is a it is a national a, emergency. Yes, there it is a national emergency that there is a severe need for this wall to stop the illegal immigration, which has gone down in the past several years, considered to where it was. Yeah, I have some facts on that that I can bring up in a little bit, but I found a good article that was fact checking the national emergency speech that Trump gave. Is it from CNN Politics? No, it is from CBS News. Okay. Mine was from CNN Politics, and that's what it said, too. Oh, cool. Uh, He said that border fencing is essential, quote, because we have tremendous amounts of drugs flowing into the country. Um, And he said the country is facing an invasion of drugs. With a wall, it would be very easy to stop these vast amounts of drugs that he's claiming are pouring through the border from entering the U.S. Yeah, and he's kind of, he like, his example in his speech is Israel, and that Israel has built a wall, a border wall between themselves and Egypt, but that wall is only 150 miles long compared to the 2,000 miles of Mexico border that he's planning on building a huge wall on so i mean it's a whole lot easier to one build a 150 mile wall and Mm -hmm. two patrol that wall and have enough people to monitor it i mean there's large portions of west texas where there's like nobody living there period yeah as as well as like you know southern new mexico Mm -hmm. like there's there's large portions 
of the border where there is literally no one. Mm-hmm. And so um, to, to say that you're going to be able to allocate enough people to, you know, constantly monitor or patrol a 2,000-mile border wall is kind of insane. And there's a big argument out there that, you know, even if you see illegal immigration as a huge problem in the United States, the border wall would be completely unnecessary because, you know, the money is not going to the right places. I watched a really eye-opening video the other day, which talked about just how much of a natural barrier we have, you know, at the border. Um, And there are hundreds of miles that are almost impassable uh, on foot. You know, there are all the uh, studies that have shown that, you know, there are places in along the border that people just can't get through. Uh, this is shown by Trump's former Department of Homeland Security secretary and former White House chief of staff saying in April 2017 that illegal drug traffic mainly comes through ports of entry. All this immigration and drug, tra- drug traffic comes from, you know, the place that we have eyes on the most. I mean, yeah, that can be seen in movies all the time. Like, people are always hiding drugs or bombs or, you know, kind of anything that you could think is, you know, illegal or not. With the system we have now, it's extremely difficult to be able to search, you know, everyone that comes through every... It's not even just everyone that comes through. Like, there's so many shipments of just crates Mm -hmm. and stuff coming from all over the world at like any given time like there's if you go down in the gulf or you go down where you go to like a a port of entry from you know sea it's just constant flow of ships coming in and out bringing cargo and big crates and i mean like you see you see people um in movies and stuff and you know that stuff actually happens like you don't just conjure up someone being smuggled over in a box or smuggling drugs in in a box and a big crate in the back of a shipping container mm-hmm. or something that's like covered with, or even guns. Like there have been plenty of times in movies where people are smuggling guns in and they put it in like a fruit box and they have fruit like on top of it. And so when, if you look in there, it looks like it's, you know, just a big box of fruit, but really there's like a little bit of fruit just to cover what's underneath it. And so it's just, it's very tough to monitor something like that because there's just such a high volume of stuff that is constantly coming in. Yeah. Do you remember when we uh, were at the border checkpoint in uh, like near Las Cruces? Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. I got down there and I don't have a passport. I need to get a passport. That that would be something that I need to get like relatively soon. Yeah. Um, But I was like, dude, if... We were, if we, we get, were close if we get enough. too close to Mexico, like, I don't have a passport. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could show them, like, I guess my Texas driver's license or something, but... So we were we were pretty close. We were, we were, like, 100 miles or less, I think. Oh, we were way closer than that. I, I think within 50 miles or so. And the funny part about that was that we were on that spring break trip, and we had the fully set up air mattress and bed in the back. And they kind of looked back there. They did. They thought we were like <laughs> trying to take someone to Mexico yeah. or something. We had so much gear and a fully set up bed in the back of my car. And they were just like, are you citizens? And we were like, yeah. I 
I thought we were going to have the car searched, but dude, I kind of did too. I was kind of surprised that we didn't get searched. Yeah, ninety-seven miles, ninety-seven miles to Ciudad Edwards mm. from White Sands. That's what I thought. We were like, that's I, right I, across I, the border. Uh, yes. I thought I remembered. Um, that's not that far. Which, I mean, it's not. It's not. It, did we actually go north to get to White Sands from Las Cruces? I think so. Because Las oh. Cruces is far south. Yeah, Las Cruces is actually below. Hold on. Because Las weren't we getting channels Cruces. from Mexico? Yes, we were getting channels Airbnb. from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we stayed at an Airbnb in Las Cruces, and um, it was uh, it was really cool. Like that guy that we had was really cool. Oh, but uh, ever met. and the Airbnb was super nice, but the. There was like nothing to watch on TV except for the 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 Bachelorette I think was on, and I literally watched that while you were editing photos because oh. I had nothing else to do. Okay, Las Cruces is fifty miles, forty-seven miles to Ciudad Juarez. I told you it was within within <laughs> fifty. Yeah, but why did we go through? We're oh, so we were going back through Border Patrol to yeah. get to White Sands. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not sure why the checkpoint was right there. That made that was really odd. That it was a hundred miles away, which I mean, we probably drove like another what ten miles after that to yeah, get there. So it was probably like you know seventy five, eighty miles. But I mean, we were in Las Cruces and we're coming back from Las Cruces up to White Sands, and we went through Border Patrol. But yeah, I was like, if we get like, because I don't have a passport, so if they had like checked me and been like, "Where's your passport?" I would have been like, I don't have one. Like, we're still in the U.S. Yeah, I never left. need one. Yeah. So I'm going to go through some of the points that the CBS News article makes in uh, fact-checking what he said uh, about declaring a national emergency. Uh, one of the points that he made was that a border wall is absolutely necessary to stop the illegal drug trade. He said fencing was a central... Uh, because they described the flow of drugs into the country as an invasion. And, you know, you really can't deny that, you know, there are a lot of illegal drugs flooding into the country um, and not just from Mexico, from, you know, all over the place. There are so many illegal things coming into the country. And Trump theorized... What what are we classifying as illegal drugs now? Because, you know, you can't really say marijuana is one because... Oh, there's so many states now that yeah, have I, I guess that's it. on semi-legal status. So what would it be like? Legal at the state methamphetamines level, methamphetamines and like cocaine. Or? Yeah, I th- I think when when most people think about drug trade, specifically the one that we're trying to cut off from Mexico, I think generally what's conjured up is you know heroin and cocaine. So like really hard drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes sense because I mean, for a while, I'm sure it was marijuana, but I'm sure there's also lots of people who are in very rural parts of the United States that don't ever get checked and are growing marijuana and have been for like decades. Oh yeah. So I mean, you can't really can't really say that. So yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I would actually like to see. I assume it's pretty hard to trace, but I I know all these hard drugs are actually, uh, there are drug rings within the U.S. that that make these drugs and distribute them. I would like to see the size of that compared to what's coming in from Mexico. You know, is the majority of of the hard drugs found in the the U.S. coming from Mexico 
or is it is it mainly domestic is it you know less than one percent of what is out there from mexico i yeah, don't know so i've you, never seen statistics on that people would look at it and say oh well the, all these drugs are coming from mexico but really like the number of the amount of drugs coming from mexico and other parts of the world is like extremely minuscule compared to what's being produced here mm-hmm. so yeah I'm, i mean i would i would bet money on that almost that the majority of the drugs are made here yeah i, I mean that's that's a good theory i've never seen statistics on that i would love to look that up after this um, and the cbs news article says that it's probably unlikely that the wall, the theorized wall, whatever it would be, would have any effect on the drug trade because so much of it comes through ports of entry. Uh, there's also however much here that's made domestically. Yeah, so basically they're theorizing that he's declared a national emergency and the funds that would be used to build the wall are basically being wasted almost because mm-hmm. of the lack of drug traffic and immigration and like illegal immigration and things that are actually coming from Mexico. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are very anti illegal immigration uh that are also not supportive at all of this wall. And there's several reasons for that. I mean, let's say the wall gets built. Let's say it's already built. Uh let's say it gets instantaneously built. It's done in a week. The only problem that I have with the wall is not necessarily because it's, I mean, I look at it as it doesn't really affect me. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, really, what's the big deal? But I also feel like it could potentially upset Mexico and, mm-hmm. you know, cause problems and tensions there that are really unnecessary and could be completely, you know, avoided if mm-hmm. there is no border wall that is. Built. Because whether intended or not, there is you know, a really negative connotation that comes with putting up a wall between yourself and, you know, your bordering country. I mean, you could say the same between, you know, like me and you. Like uh-huh. like if I put up a wall, and not necessarily like a physical wall, but just like a, you know, a, like a, a mental wall or whatever, and I'm like, I don't want anything to do with you. Like that's going to cause tensions, right? And so, I mean, the same thing is like basically happening or probably going to happen with this actual wall that is being put up between the United States and Mexico. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's a lot in, you know, the phrasing that's used by President Trump and, you know, people working with him, people who, who are riding on his same train of thought. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, bad phrasing put forward that, even if it's not bad phrasing, just the words that they're choosing are it can easily be taken the wrong way uh, by Mexican citizens, by citizens of the United States that are Mexican. A lot of what they're putting forward uh, can easily be taken the wrong way. You always heard that he said that you know Mexico is not sending their greatest people here; they're sending rapists and murderers and you know, there have been multiple outlets step forward and say, you know, that's not exactly true. The majority of people here are coming looking for work. Of course, when you do have someone commit a crime here, 
it gets blown entirely out of proportion and the entire group, you know, takes the fall for, you know, that, that one bad apple, as people say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I understand that. I mean, you can look at it as, well, Mexican isn't Mexico isn't sending their best people, but I mean, they're the amount of crimes coming from Mexican like people in America is probably equal or less to that of just normal. Yeah, crime I've from I've seen American citizens domestic crime. At least the rate of it is m- much higher than cr- crime from illegal aliens Um, and And i mean we're in texas so mm -hmm. i mean we see hispanic and mexican people all the time i mean i I would argue the majority of texas population is Uh probably hispanic at this point and so i mean you know people up north or um you know i don't know maybe canada but canada isn't necessarily even relevant right now because we're talking about the u.s but you know like the farther up north you go the less hispanic mexican people there are i mean it's just kind of yeah how it works you're like the farther you go north the farther distance you are away from mexico and so Mm -hmm. you know texas and new mexico and the bordering states are going to see a much higher population of mexican you know immigrants Mm -hmm. or even there are plenty of um mexican citizens too in texas and yeah the southern states that you know have have immigrated at some point and you know haven't caused any trouble are just here to you know work raise their family mm-hmm. they want to have the american dream because you know in the end we all immigrated from somewhere and you know if you like you did a a 23 me test correct yeah and so i mean at some point our families came over from some other country to here and you know we wanted a better life and when you wanted maybe independence from whatever country we were do we were part of at the time to come over and fleeing violence yeah i mean there's there's, there's tons of reasons yeah. and so i mean there are plenty of people who um could be mexican citizens and are like i'm fed up with this drug traffic and gang violence and stuff mm-hmm. and they're like i want a better life for my family and so they cross the border illegally and you know come work hard are good American citizens at this point and have, you know, had children who are now American citizens because they were born on American soil and, you Mm -hmm. know, everything's, everything's fine. And yeah, there is, you know, that maybe like 0.1% of the population that causes the bad rap for everyone else. Yeah. Let's talk about the hypocrisy that is talked about in American history when the subject of immigration comes up. So, you know, the first Anglo immigrants to come to what is now the United States, they are absolutely by all means considered heroes when you're taught about them in American history classes, when they're talked about in American culture, you look at the pilgrims, all these people that came over to settle, you know, they're only shown as good. You know, you don't, hear about you know the crimes they committed the genocide uh against the native americans that were living in what is now the united states at the time uh so do you think there's a lot of hypocrisy within american culture about how we talk about illegal immigration because like you said at one time we were illegal immigrants ourselves and of course the country was not structured 
But I mean, do you think that's any different than what ha- what's happening today? People looking for a better life, taking the risk, coming to a new land, knowing that there might be dangers, all these consequences associated with it. I mean, do you think it should be seen in the same way? Or do you think that it's completely, the, the context is completely different now? Um, I don't know, because I, I, I do agree with you. Um, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, when we learn about it in history class, or, you know, whenever we we learn about American history, we learn that we came over and everything seemed fine and then we basically you know persecuted the native americans at some Mm -hmm. point and that i mean that was almost from the start and then you've got the trail of tears and so now you know native americans are almost seen as outcasts in their own homeland and you know i think i think what scares a lot of people is that they think that um mexicans are going to do the same kind of thing that happened then mm-hmm. which i doesn't make a whole lot of sense so because we have so much more equality and so much more capabilities to defend ourselves even though i mean the people that are immigrating here are literally coming to buy into american culture mm-hmm. and make a better life for themselves and it may not even be i know not military control but I think what a lot of people who are anti-immigration may be afraid of, um, whether it's openly expressed or, you know, it's a deep down feeling that they don't even realize is, you know, what cultural control comes with, you know, losing the majority population that you have in an area. Uh, I saw, I read somewhere that in, I think by 2024, 2024 or 2030, sometime around then, it's expected that there will be more Spanish as a first language speakers than there are English or Eng- I can't even talk. I read that in either 2024 or 2030, sometime around then, that there will be more first language Spanish speakers than there are first language English speakers in Texas. And, uh, you know, that's nothing to be ashamed of as the United States. You know, we talk about English, we flaunt English, but there is no official language. And I think as a country, if you know, we openly brag about all this diversity. Why are we so um, opposed to to something like that happening? And I think in the area we grew up in, the part of Texas we're in now, I'd argue that Mexico has more of an influence on our culture than does, you know, the traditional United States. Yeah, I agree with that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's also interesting that... Uh, you know, like Spanish and many other languages. Like English is supposedly the most difficult language mm-hmm. to learn because there's like, it makes no freaking sense. It does not. It, like, it just it's so dumb. And I like I know that um, like we have several Hispanic guys that work for us, uh-huh. and one of them the other day, um, a couple of the ladies were asking him how to say something in Spanish, and. Uh, they were like, well, what about this and this? And he was like, we just have like one word for it. It's all the same. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what tense it's in or, you know, this or that. It's like, just this, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if there's like an apostrophe after the, like for there, like there's three different ways 
that we say that we spell the exact same word and they all have different meanings. I'm like theirs isn't, the language isn't quite like that. Like it's much more simple and easy to learn. And, you know, a bicycle is a bicicleta. So yeah, it's, it's very simple. It's not like you, like, I don't, I don't see how that could be a problem, especially when like as American citizens, most of us only speak English and, you know, we're taught like Spanish and some of those yeah. other languages in school but do we know how to be like actually communicate with someone? Mm-hmm. No, not really. I mean, you can understand like bits and pieces here and there, but to have like a full blown conversation with someone who's speaking Spanish to you, I I have no idea. Like I I know for a fact that I could get a couple words out and I could be like, yeah, I don't understand. So that that would be about how it goes. And I I don't see learning Spanish and English as being a problem when it you know, can be used very beneficially as the mm-hmm. Hispanic population continues to increase, as I'm sure it will. Yeah, I I think we're at a huge disadvantage in our educational system by how we're teaching secondary languages. I think um, we learned a little bit, but, you know, none of it stuck. It wasn't until, you know, I started actually speaking with fluent Spanish Spanish speakers or actually going to areas where I was forced to speak Spanish, that any of it started to stick. You know, the, the way that we teach it is just and not a good way. It's it's very ineffective, and, you know, um, most most people don't care. Yeah, they, like, don't, they don't see any use no. behind it. They're like, oh, this is just They're like, a we boring just, class. We speak that, English. Like, uh-huh. you should learn English. We should not have to be learning Spanish. There's yeah. a lot of people's mindset toward it. And I think it should be the opposite, mm-hmm. that... You know, the as the population of Mexicans in especially in our area continue to increase, like the importance of learning Spanish is significantly greater mm-hmm. than trying to figure out which tense of or which freaking way to spell there in your English class. And I mean, uh, when I when I graduated with my master's, I asked one of my one of my friends that I graduated with, I was like, So what's your plan? What are you gonna do next? And he's like uh, I'm going to go learn Spanish. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to learn Spanish? And he's like, dude, it opens up so many more job opportunities. Why would I not go learn Spanish? And that's that's so true in so many jobs. Yeah. We're way off topic. Welcome to the question at hand, where every episode <laughs> we find something really interesting to talk about. I, yeah, I think I asked you a question I didn't get to finish. So pretend that, you know, in a week, they're able to put this wall up. Which is not possible, but just pretend the wall is already up. Do you think you'll see an immediate decrease in the statistics we're able to calculate in illegal immigration and illegal drug trade? Or do you think there will be pretty much no difference? I don't know. I don't know that we would necessarily be able to see a like immediate effect. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if most people are coming in in the ports, like a port of entry, then what difference does it make if there's a wall there? Like, you might see, like, minuscule returns on something that costs several billion dollars to make. Yeah. And do you think, here's another question, do you think the wall is the most effective way those funds can be used? Let's say... Oh, definitely no. It's a... The, uh, 
however many million it was, or sorry, not million, trillion, billion. It for, was billion for what the border funding. Uh, border I want to say I believe it was. In, it was in the billions. Yeah, it was billions. Um, let's see, five point seven billion dollars. Okay, so let's say, let's say, you know, whoever needs to approve that says, yeah, that's you're willing to give that to to border um, funding. I've seen where people um, who like our ex employees of the government mm-hmm. are not getting to get their back pay or I, that may not be right it's something about back pay because of the border wall funding like it would take so much money away from the government oh. that people would like miss out on being paid hmm. or so, it was something crazy like that and i was like you're literally gonna declare a state of emergency and then have people literally not be able to receive <laughs> important funds that they need. I'm like, why would you do that? That makes no sense. Yeah. So let's say it's approved, the $5.7 billion. They're like, okay, it sounds good. You don't think a wall is the most necessary use of that $5.7 billion. I think I said million again. How could it be? Like, how could it be the best use of that money? Like there are so many other things that could be funded. Like that could go to schools. Mm-hmm. Like that could go to, um, I I wouldn't I I almost said military, but military already has like the gigantic budget. So mm-hmm. and the budget that we don't know about. Yeah, I mean, there's so much funding there. But I think schools, especially, could be very benefited by five point seven billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know that may be, whenever you, um, you know, divide that up. A, across the vast number of schools in the U.S. that it, it, it may not be quite as significant of a number, but it would still be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. It could go to, you know, technology funding or, um, like, there are plenty of, there are so many kids on the free lunch now mm-hmm. that, like, that could be very beneficial to schools. Yeah. There are a lot of problems that we could solve in the United States with $5.7 Oh, dude, there are so many problems we could so solve with that money. So you have to talk about, you know, what is the importance of this and... Yeah, there have been several high-ranking border patrol border patrol officials come forward and say, uh, you know, a wall isn't the best use. If it's going to go toward border funding, we'd rather use it toward, you know, recruitment of of new border patrol officers or new technologies. You know, uh, there are so many drone and radar techniques that are, are getting pretty effective now, and you know, the majority of people that are found, I'm assuming, are not found because you know they can't make it over the wall it's they're found using this technology there are several different ways around the wall that you know they're looking into there was that viral video the other day that showed you know how easily a similar wall could be cut through with a chainsaw uh, there's also ways that you can go over and under it and you know if you watch any of the border patrol shows oh, yeah. i mean it's one of those things that if you have enough desire to get over the wall or uh-huh. get through the wall, like if there is enough of a desire there, there are miles it doesn't of matter that we don't even know about. Oh yeah, but it doesn't even matter like how big the wall is, how thick mm-hmm. it is. Like someone's going to find a way to get through it one way or another or get under it or So do you think it's outdated? I don't know that I'd say it's outdated. I just don't think it's necessary. Like mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to solve the problem he thinks it's going to solve. Mhm which doesn't even seem to be a problem from what 
other people have, you know, commented on. Yeah. So we've we've touched upon quite a few things this this CBS news article talks about. Um, you know, he also said walls work one hundred percent. He said no. Uh, another thing that was stated in that speech was that El Paso was saw a huge decrease in violence after that wall was put up. That is incorrect. There's a, a wait. What wall? There's a wall um, on the border of El Paso. When did that happen? Uh, 2009 is when it was completed. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep, under the Obama administration. That's interesting. It was, yeah, I'm sure many of the border cities have some form of wall or fencing. And I think, you know, that's generally necessary. It's a deterrent. It's not an extremely expensive in the case of the steel wall that we're looking at, but it is a simple deterrent that can relieve some of some of the pressure that Border Patrol is under. Um, and, of course, people cross it, you know, anything is... You know, there's no wall out there that's impenetrable, you know. Yeah. Uh, but this talks about a little bit of the, the crime in El Paso that, uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah, violent crimes in El Paso from 1985 to 2017. And the biggest fall in violent crime actually came in 1993. Uh, and that could, one theory is that that is tied to Operation Hold the Line, um, which was a, I'm not sure about the specifics of Operation Hold the Line, but I'm I've never heard of that. assuming that's some Border Patrol scheme to, you know, prevent illegal immigration. And then when the Border Patrol fence was completed 16 years later in 2009, the crime basically plateaued. It increased a little bit and then it decreased a little bit, but it's plateau there's been no decrease in crime or no obvious decrease in crime since the border fence was completed in El Paso. So the problem doesn't seem to be that it's coming from the border then. Well yeah I mean there there was a decrease in, in violent crimes in El Paso after they implemented Operation Hold the Line. Yeah. But I don't what is what was that again? I'm not exactly sure what hold the line was. It was at border patrol crossings in El Paso and violence was at an all-time low in 2006. And then they decided to put a fence up. And when they started building the fence, it started to increase. Now, that could just be a statistical anomaly. It doesn't really make that much sense to put up a border fence and then crossings would increase and violent crimes associated with illegal immigration would increase. But that is what you see from 2006 to 2009. And then in 2009, when it's completed, it generally plateaus. But what Trump said in the speech was that basically overnight, as soon as they complete the wall, you know, there's an immediate drop in crossings and crime. And that's not what we're seeing here. Also, did you see that uh, news clip the other day where he talked about a wall in san antonio no i don't know if he mistook san antonio for el paso why would we need a wall in san antonio i don't know what he was talking about people people were making fun of him but they could put a wall up to 
to keep people from crossing the river walk. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> oh, it, it sounds Spanish, so he probably thinks it's on the border. He's just <laughs> saying things, which, you know, probably, but... Uh, there's no telling, man. Uh, yeah, so... El Paso is not a good example of a border wall working. Neither is San Antonio. He also said the U.S. is being invaded. There have been repeated studies done that show actually border crossings are at an all-time low. And part of that is... uh, Let me find it. Well, while you're finding that, can we talk about how much we like Mexican food? Yes. You mentioned... Mexican culture does not make it very far north. Oh, I mean, we had really good Mexican food in West Virginia yeah. at Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just saying, like, the, not necessarily the culture doesn't make it that far north. Like, there are plenty of Hispanic people and Mexican people who yeah. make it that far. But I'm just saying the majority of people stay, stay you know, closer to, Me- like, and to Mexico. It's It's not even, you know, all these people aren't, coming over from Mexico, you know? If you look at the history of the United States, pretty much everywhere where there's Mexican or Spanish influence was either a, a colony of Spain or Mexico at the time, and, and a lot of the families are still here. Yeah. And we look at them like aliens, but, you, you know, we were the ones that seized power from Mexico and, and Spain. Yeah. So, so that's a good California, point. Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, all these places... Yeah, that's a really good point. Had huge Mexican influence, and we were able to pry the land away. You know, in this documentary I'm making, one of the guys was uh, basically a human smuggler. He would smuggle in Anglo families, so he would smuggle in the the uh, American families into what was then Spanish Texas. And the idea was to, you know, slowly begin to build up some power in East Texas. Uh, and, you know, people look at it then like, oh, he's he's one of the heroes in, in helping the United States capture Texas. But people see him in a much different light than what a human smuggler from Mexico to be, would be doing today. But I think it's a completely different conversation because generally what those people are doing, if, you know, let's take drugs out of the picture. If you are going to smuggle people across and not drugs... Generally, the reason why you're doing that is because they're looking for a better life or they are chasing opportunity. I saw one of the biggest drivers of illegal immigration is how well the U.S. economy does. And there are so many jobs that Americans just don't want to do. I mean, people joke about it and it's it's a stereotype that, you know, all these Mexican immigrants come over and they become things that we just don't want to be hard yeah. laborers we we don't want to do all this gardening and construction and landscaping and things like that and that's a huge stereotype but there are a lot of immigrants coming over hoping that they get that opportunity because they do not have that in Mexico and i saw somewhere that i believe it was 2017 the last year they had on record for this but that you know, there was a a big drop in people. It was the lowest on lowest estimated immigration year on record, and part of it was because Mexico's economy was increasing. Uh, you know, they had less reason to come over. They had more and more, you know, stable work in Mexico, and 
there was this thing called the Trump effect where, you know, they were very worried about what would happen to Mexican immigrants under the Trump administration. And I think now, you know, the majority of illegal immigrants here, I went to school with many who were illegal immigrants or their parents were illegal immigrants or they had family who were illegal immigrants and they are very much a high contributor to American society. A lot of them, you know, consider themselves very much American at heart. They might not be an official American citizen, but, you know, at heart, they are through and through American. And, um, you know, I think it's a lot of them, it, it wasn't their choice to come over as well. Uh, you know, they, they came with family or it just wasn't their choice. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's very sad when we've got high-ranking politicians or, or all these groups in America that would see people like that who want to contribute, who want to uh, assimilate and want to become part of our culture when they're just turned away and viewed as outcasts. And I think that's a huge problem that we have in America of, you know, if if you didn't do it my way, then, then we don't want you here. But I I think that's something that, that could be looked into of how we can ease the path to citizenship. You hear about people spending decades trying to become citizens. Um, I mean, I don't know that necessarily we would pass a citizenship test. Yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah. You know, I there are so many non-citizens out there who know more about our country than we do. Oh, yeah. They've got more pride for America than we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't wake up every day and are overcome with the feeling of, man, we're really lucky to be here. But there are so many non-citizens here that wake up every day enjoying the opportunity to, you know, work in in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, you, you said something about them having, you know, hard labor jobs or something like that, that, you know, we don't necessarily, as Americans feel like I feel like we we feel like we're entitled mm-hmm. to not have those jobs um, which is a completely wrong way to look at things but you know the the bulk of the workforce is made up of jobs like that like it's not the CEOs of company that are the bulk of the workforce they may be the ones that make the decisions for the bulk of the workforce but I mean you're talking about like less than one percent of people yeah that are that are are working citizens with or just working people in general mm because i mean there are plenty of people who are not citizens that are are working and you know i mean if you go to a construction site you may have a uh you may have a very like wealthy white man that is the owner of the construction company and then most of the people that work under him may be hispanic and or are you know maybe illegal immigrants and they come over and they're the ones that go out and get stuff done whereas he's the overseer and you know is out pitching the company to you know potential um customers and i mean the the bulk of the work is being yeah. done by these there were so immigrants. there are so many industries that wouldn't be what they are or would totally collapse if not for the help of Illegal immigration providing oh, work. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, you know, we talk about having such a debt to China because the labor is so cheap and, you know, like that's, that's what China does and that's what they're known for. And there are so many people who come here because they don't want those working conditions. And, you know, like not necessarily from China, but from Mexico, you know, they immigrate because the working conditions in Mexico are, you know, poor or Mm -hmm. they don't get paid enough to even make a living. And they come here and the minimum wage is enough for them to, you know, support a family and have a house or an apartment or something, you know, that's much nicer than what they could potentially be living in in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even mentioned this yet, but not all non-citizens coming to the country are doing so illegally. We saw all over the news over the last year of what our processes are for accepting uh, asylum seekers. And, you know, a lot of people, it was was brought to light. A lot of people realize that, you know, we don't treat asylum seekers the way that it was probably intended for them to be treated. Uh, You see all the videos of, of the camps that are made and, uh, you know, they do it fully legally uh, seeking asylum. Lots of them fleeing violence from Central or South American countries, from Mexico, Uh, people seeking a better life or uh, just stability and a, a way for them to get away from human trafficking or drug trade or gang violence, whatever it is. Uh, but we see a lot of the news and in, in media and political groups, social media, a lot of these asylum seekers get grouped in with illegal immigrants. Um, especially, you know, we talked about the, the bad apples, uh, you know, asylum seekers are often thrown in and believed to be those bad apples, but you know, they're, they're fleeing for, for reasons. And if we did not have that cultural disconnect, you talked about English and Spanish, you know, we reject a lot of the culture, even though it has a huge influence on Texas, uh, you know, there's that cultural disconnect. And so we're not able to relate to what they're going through. So a lot of the times we'll just say, no, we lack all sorts of empathy and, you know, we just don't know how to handle it. So a lot of people just say, you know, no, you, you want to get into this country without working for it. Get in line like everyone else. And I think that's extremely sad when that's the state of our country. But there are people trying to legally, you know, temporarily get a better life here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you say there's a, a cultural disconnect. And I think part of that is that um, we want immigrants to conform to our culture and mm-hmm. acclimate to our culture rather than trying to blend the two. Yeah. Or, you know, accept, you know, the culture that they're coming from. Um, they're like, this is America. You either get with the program or you leave. Yeah. And that's not a good way to look at things because you don't know where these people are coming from. You don't know what reasons they have necessarily that they're coming for. Um, and, well, telling like we them said, to completely change their beliefs and their culture mm-hmm. is not the right thing to do. Yeah, like we said, it, it might be fear of losing power, fear of your country, or not your country, but fear of your culture losing power wherever you are. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, even though it really doesn't matter, I mean, we grew up in, you know, majority Hispanic area and I, I don't know exactly the demographics of our high school, but it was probably it was over 50% Hispanic over. Yeah. Majority Hispanic, mm-hmm. you know, what difference would it have made if we would have gone to a high school that was 90% white? You know, that's that's probably not the best example, but, you know, in in my opinion, I, I don't think I could say that fear of your culture losing out in the long run is, is any thing that you should... I don't. I don't think we should be afraid of it because it's not like one day our culture is the way it is, and the next day it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Like it, it'll gradually change over time. It's not like we wake yeah. up the next day and we're completely overrun with Spanish culture. And I mean, like it, it, it would become part of our culture. It's not like it's like a foreign concept like mm-hmm. our culture is what it is today because of immigration and you know our area where we live and things like that it's not like like i don't understand what's so what's so scary yeah so let's theorize here so he called a national emergency for a border wall but crossings and Border crossing related crime are at an all time low as of 2017. There are numerous studies out there that say a wall would most likely not improve any of these statistics. And a lot of, of these studies are also saying, you know, the numbers that are given are nowhere near what he's claiming. So, you know, why do you think the real what do you think the real purpose was behind this national emergency that was called? I think it's a play on him running again. So you think it's for reelection because that's what he promised was that there would be a border wall. Mm -hmm. And so if he doesn't follow through on that, that severely hurts his chances of being reelected. Yeah. And so it's just a ploy for, do you think it's the act of accomplishment or do you think this is such a big task when you look at all the big construction events that have taken place in in American history, all the nationwide events, do you think this is such a big one that, you know, in a way you would want that president to remain in charge to see that project through? Because this is a multiple year project. Do you think it would help his reelection bid in that way? You know, if, if he says, you know, if I think if he, he doesn't get reelected, it would be stopped. I think the next president would stop the border wall because they don't. The only one I think the main thing is that he thinks that it's necessary, mm-hmm. and most other people, even like those surrounding him, probably disagree with him to an extent. And yeah. so, whoever runs next, even maybe as a Republican candidate, like that goes against him, could potentially see the border yeah. wall as being ineffective or unnecessary or a waste of funds and could, mm-hmm. you know, put a halt to it. Um, but, I mean, I feel like if a Democrat gets elected, it'll probably, you know, be brought to a halt if he doesn't get reelected. And so it, it could be what you're saying, that, you know, that would help his chance of being reelected because there's such a big project. And if people really want this border wall to be done, then... 
he would ha- need to remain in power to see it through. Yeah. Do you think there's anything behind the conspiracy that, you know, this would give a big boost to like the U.S. steel industry? I haven't heard that, but that's interesting. Yeah. I've, I saw that. I mean, uh, I, it would like no yeah. doubt, but I hadn't heard that. That's interesting. I mean, just one of those conspiracy. That's not a bad thing. But, you know, if, if that's the reason why a national emergency was called, uh, you, we didn't even mention this, but other than the statistics, there were the first two years of his presidency where he could have done it. And he could have done it with, you know, a Republican Senate and a Republican House and a Republican presidency. Now that Democrats in the last election gained control of one of those three, all of a sudden it becomes a national emergency there's a government shutdown over it. It becomes a huge deal when, you know, I don't know how few times, if I even heard of it at all, during the first two years of his presidency of, of the wall ever being discussed by him or by his administration. I mean, he discussed it quite a few times, but it was more that uh, a continuation of his campaign that Mexico mm-hmm. was going to pay for it. And that was like, he was trying, I think he like met with the, Mexican president at one point and he was like no we're not funding a wall yeah. or he like I don't know if they met or if he just like talked to him and it was like in in the mm-hmm. works and yeah I, I remember like, that no. I, I just don't know of any times before where they said you know this this is a study we're going to do to prove that this might be effective this is where it's going to be I know there were, there were not many cases of any tangible things put forward about the wall. Yeah. You know, I don't know how this is, is being approved without, you know, studies backing it. It's just him saying, oh yeah, well, it'll help. I, th- I think that's I think kind I, of crazy. I, yeah. I think like, like kind of what I'm saying is, you know, he, he can see that if he doesn't accomplish what he promised in his first campaign, why would people reelect him mm-hmm. in the next one? Yeah. And so he's got to get it done somehow. Do you Whether think Mexico he has, pays for it or not, yeah. he's got to get it done. Do you think he has any shot at re-election with where he stands now? I mean... I think it's... I think he does, mm-hmm. yes. I mean, I don't see how he couldn't. The economy's at an all-time high. Like, there's so many positive things that he's done, even though he, you know, is an idiot sometimes and makes poor decisions and like he's done a lot of good just as he's done bad during his two years of being a president so far so i don't know i mean i think he's still so gotta, you, you think there's think enough there for you know so, some of that other stuff to be swept under the rug during the campaign and say forget about this i know what i'm doing now i hope you reelect me you think there's enough there I, it's hard to tell now because it's hard to tell, yeah. the f- the first election was such a shock. You know, they said he's Clinton was heavily favored, oh, yeah. and now you know you see that his approval rating is so low. Uh, it's I mean, there's been speculation that he'll tell. resign like this yeah, year, if if not so. be impeached. You can't go a day without reading some article yeah. from a major outlet that's saying, "Here's where we are on impeachment. Here's where we are on him resigning. Here's some." You know, it feels like it's every day that there's some new uh, conspiracy or controversy that 
you know, that comes out surrounding the Trump administration. Someone yeah. gets fired for, you know, tampering with the election, whether that's proven or, uh, you know, some other crime. You can't go a day without hearing that type of news. Uh, but one thing we still haven't discussed about this is, you know, whether or not we think it's a national emergency, uh, is was a national emergency the correct way to go about trying to fund this wall, trying to get the wall going. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I did see that they're, they were questioning whether he could even call that a national emergency mm-hmm. based on the the guidelines that are given in that National Emergency Act. Yeah, so let me read this. A national emergency must be based on conditions beyond the ordinary. Otherwise, it has no meaning. Uh, The U.S. Code now defines emergency as follows. Emergency means any major, uh, er, sorry, emergency means any occasion or instance for which in the determination of the president, federal assistance is needed to supplement state and local efforts and capabilities to save lives and protect property and public health and safety or to lessen or avert the threat of of a catastrophe in part of the United States. So, which of that do you think is most specific to this case? Do you think it's uh, saving lives, protecting property, public safety, or lessening the threat of catastrophe in the United States? Because one thing that he talked about quite often was that, uh, what was it, like 1,800 people a week he believed were dying from drug-related deaths involving illegal drug trade. You know, I don't think that has been substantiated or been attributed to I think, drugs coming from I think Mexico. in his mind he's checking every box. Okay. On mm-hmm. what the what the border wall is gonna do. But um I don't know that the research is there to support that. And I also don't know that it technically checks any boxes. Yeah. Because I'm sure, you know, he's thinking it's going to be for public safety and to cut down on the number of drugs and potential collapse of the U.S. or something like that. And like the, I'm sure he has a reason for every one of those scenarios, but yeah. I don't know that they're all there. Mm-hmm. And in a way, what he promotes is worst case scenario. Yeah. He says, this is what will happen if you let so-and-so take over. This is what will happen if you let these people into the country. When a lot of his advisors even are saying, no, like, this is fine. This is not an issue at the moment. You've got more important things to to worry about. I will say that this is the second listed, the second national emergency listed in the military category of the 59 National emergencies. He's listed this in the military category. This is listed in the military. I category. saw something that he listed it in the military category because he could pull like soldiers mm-hmm. to go and build the wall. Yeah. I don't know. Or it, it, I don't know if it's work they would be contracted to do or if it's, you know, have them stationed there to you know oversee this project 
you know, while the wall is being I built. I think it was like the actual building. Huh. Yeah, this is the second military-related one. The only other military-related uh, national emergency was uh, from George Bush, George W. Bush, on September 14th, 2001, and it was Declaration of National Emergency by Reason of Certain Terrorist Attacks. Which is, you know, everyone knows what that's about, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, it allowed him to call troops from the National Guard for retirement uh, to apportion military funding to exercise more discretion over hiring military officers and to promote more generals than previously previously allowed. He uh, Is that one still in effect? Yes, it is still in effect. Okay. I feel like that's one that, you know, may never mm-hmm. not be in effect. It was the first of two 9-11-related national emergencies. The second was uh, blocking property and prohibiting transactions with persons who commit, threaten to commit, or support terrorism. That's interesting. Which, yeah. So this is this is the first military-related, non-terrorism-related national emergency. Hmm. So it, this is, you know, somewhere we've never been. This is New Frontier. And... You know, that was making pretty big news because there are a lot of people saying that, you know, if you use this as an excuse for national emergency, there's no telling what could be used on the other side of the table, what a Democratic president would use a national emergency for. People brought up the idea of climate change or, you know, changing a system like the healthcare system or the educational system. If you see it as a national emergency, then... You know, they're saying yeah. if, if this is a national emergency, if the evidence is not there, then anything could be a national emergency. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And so they're saying this is a huge overstep of power, whether we need it or not. You know, lots of people said even Trump supporters, uh, fellow Republicans, they said this is not the way to do it. There was a Republican. Um, it was Marco Rubio that did not agree at all with this use of a national emergency. Uh, he says it could embolden the future Democratic president on climate change. Uh, that's from CNBC. And uh, he said, you know, the president wants to keep the promise, but he has to be extremely careful about endorsing broad uses of executive power. And he says, I am not prepared to endorse that right now. So Rubio is not a fan at all of the president using uh, this national emergency procedure that has been created to fund and go forward with this border wall. And we haven't even talked about, you know, the legal complication of all this because there are going to be so many lawsuits from landowners and companies that are losing land from where the wall will be placed. I saw that uh, in the Bush administration there was fencing and and wall put forward along the border a lot of what they want to cover up is already covered up with a wall with a fence i mean it's in between in a lot of places some of it's it's chain link fence some of it is like full-on wall Hmm. i've never been that close to the border to see yeah and, and some have a wall in their backyard yeah 
but I feel like that's terrifying. Yeah, and and a lot say you know I didn't get enough. I was sort of lowballed when when they gave me this money for for my property, and a lot of people lost property that's very valuable to them or meaningful to their families and there are a lot of lawsuits that can come with this and even if you know this is allowed to go forward with there's no telling how long it could take in the legal system we saw that 16 states were filing lawsuit against this how long the decision could be held up in court before any action is allowed to take place 16 states Mm -hmm. why there aren't that many border states no and i was reading an article on this i mean this would cover the span of four states uh-huh us new mexico arizona and california but it says it, it talked about having a stake in you know the issue and a lot of states see that you know there could be economic consequences that come along with it or or something like that they generally saw it as as negatively affecting their state and so 16 states saw it worthwhile to file a lawsuit against this national emergency that was declared. So, I mean, we talked about in last week's episode how climate change was affecting insects and how that could have huge effects on uh, the American food system. Yeah. So what if in the future a president has actual scientific and substantial evidence to declare an emergency and say, hey, we need to do something different. We need to reduce emissions of this or we need to reduce our use of this. We need to limit corporations in doing whatever it is. You know, I think this is saying, hey, that's that could be a possibility in the future. Maybe there needs to be that one person in the White House who wants to change it rather than trying to change the whole system. You know, because this makes the definition of national emergency pretty vague if there's not much there. So if this goes through, you think that that could potentially help future presidents in declaring national emergencies for something like that? Yeah, I think no matter who's in, I think the power that they could have if this is considered a national emergency, I think what they could accomplish is huge or what they could change. And I'm not an expert on what politics could be like in the future, but that's what a lot of people are worried about. They're saying if, if you sign a national emergency declaring that the border wall needs to happen, then you can expect the next democratic president will sign uh, a national emergency saying that we need to do something about climate change or any of the, the, other major problems that Democrats see in American uh Do you think that could be positive or that that would be negative? To look at climate change? Yeah, or, or something, you know. I see that, like as, that as a whole hugely positive. I think that could greatly benefit future generations. Now, that being said, I think whatever action is done moving forward could have hugely negative consequences on business on corporations on you know the top of the wealth chain 
you know, that could be seen as, as very negative, especially from a conservative or Republican point of view. Yeah. But, I mean, with all national emergencies, I'm pretty sure there are people saying, yeah, that needs to happen. And others who say, that's not what we need to do. Well, do we have anything else we want to talk about? No, I'm a, I think we... I think we covered pretty we covered much everything. everything. Gave a little bit of history about it. Yeah. You know, I think we were able to look at what is a national emergency, and we don't really know. A lot of it is sanctions to help our place in, uh, in you know, the world rankings. A lot of it is protect American citizens. We didn't even talk about the Obama national emergency about swine flu that lasted a year. Yeah. Um, so so there are one in one. Yeah, there are medical reasons to declare yeah. national emergency as well. I mean, there's lots of lots of reasons to declare a national emergency, and you know, some of them like H one N one were you know probably beneficial in the long run. Um, and I don't I don't know. I mean, a border wall may be, but I also think that like you're saying, it may be crossing the line and open up possibilities for you know anything to be a national emergency. So, yeah, and and a lot of these are not. This is one of the few that is very controversial. I'm sh- I'm sure a lot of these are generally supported, but this is the one that is v- extremely controversial. Yeah, uh, a lot of these are just a, a president deciding that. And this is something that needs to happen, but I'm not sure the laws that we have right now or the system that we have right now is able to accomplish this task in the time that it needs to be done in. So I need to go around that. But, you know, uh, this, it's basically him just flexing his power. Uh-huh. We've two years, no talk of a national emergency. All of a sudden, he loses a little bit of power and then... There's a national emergency again. Yeah. Well, I think we I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah. That, this was an interesting of, topic. We might not really have known the most topic. about it, but yeah. we found out some stuff along the way. Yeah. For sure. Um, you ready to do pointless facts? Yeah. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So my pointless fact, which is actually pretty neat to know, is that both President George W. Bush... And President Bill Clinton have signed 14 national emergencies during their two-term tenures. So they both signed 14 emergencies in is eight that, years. Is that like a pretty even split? Or no, don't ask that question. What do you mean? Is that like an even split? Like is it like about seven and seven, like eight and six or, you know, something like that? Or is it like... Because, you know, Bush probably signed several right after 9-11. Yeah, I'm sure his were front-loaded because of everything that was going on, you know, 2000 to 2004. Um, Obama also signed 13. So Uh, He was close behind. Yeah, he was up there. So, I mean, the majority of presidents you see signed between, you know, probably 6 to 12. Actually, no, that's incorrect. There are three under six. Is Trump included in that? No. So far? No, he's not. He's okay. served for. He's not served a full term yet, so I'm sure they would not include him. But yeah. he's at the halfway point in his first term. So if he is reelected, 
then he would break the record if he continues on this pace. If he signs eight per term. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's a stupid thing to say, but... <laughs> yeah. He's on He's on. He's, pace. He's signed a bunch early. Yeah, he's on pace right now to break the record. So, I don't know if that's something that is a good thing or not. But Yeah, and and it's it's very uh it's very misleading this fact because it lacks context, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, Bush is not seen as the same type of president as Trump, nor is he seen as the same type of president as Obama. And so they were both given different scenarios. Obama was given uh things like the recession and, you know, terrorism in the form that it was. So was Bush. So they had different, you know, situations that they had to act around. So it's, it's not a great example. Yeah. But they signed a lot of national emergencies. Yeah. I got you. Um, my pointless fact is that George Washington was an ultra successful liquor distributor in the new country. He made rye whiskey, apple brandy, and peach brandy in his Mount Vernon distillery. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. Didn't he also, this doesn't have to go in there, but didn't he also, like, forcibly remove his slave's teeth Yeah. to make his dentures? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Golly. Come on, George. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, well, that's it for this week's episode. Um we appreciate you guys for listening. Do we want to say something about the Reddit? Oh, yeah. We've made a Reddit account, and we promoted uh, one of our episodes on a subreddit, and we thought that was a pretty cool way to promote it, and it was a, a specific subreddit for Aphantasia, and they seemed to enjoy it. So yeah, it seemed to be good. If you know of any subreddits or things that we should uh, you know, look into, try to do something on, you, know, you can reach out to us on Reddit. Um, or just direct us in the right place. Yeah, on Reddit, we're question at hand pod. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, if you have any questions that you would like to submit or if you just want to, you know, talk to us about the episode, you can do that through Facebook or Twitter. Both are at question at hand. Or if you have um, a, a question that you would like featured on the show in the episode, you can submit that at anchor.fm slash question at hand or through the Anchor app. And uh, I think that I think that's it for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. See you. <laughs>